and welcome to our Truly Scrumptious podcast, where we talk food festivals, festival food, foodie friends and friends of the festival. In each episode, we will chat to some of our many friends, our celebrity chefs and bakers, food producers, festival team and other people involved in the festival world. We'll even hear some backstage gossip. It's a huge world. It's a hard-working one and great fun too, although a tad stressful at times. My name is Lottie Duncan, and I'm a food presenter, writer, and eater. We want to bring our food festivals to your door, your ears, your living room, and most definitely your kitchen. So draw up your chair, pour yourself something scrumptious, take the weight off your slingbacks, and join us within the world of food, festivals, and foodie types. Welcome to another deliciously delectable episode full of scrumptious sumptuousness. In the week that has International Women's Day, this podcast gives me the chance to highlight two very clever women in the world of food. They also happen to make two of my favourite products. Sarah Churchill from the Artisan Kitchen, who makes the most fabulous preserves, including the best marmalade in the world as far as I'm concerned, and Lisa Newsham from Frida's Peanut Butter, It is, quite frankly, the best you'll ever taste. Ever. I'll also be chatting with my wonderful matey, Ben Ebrill, from Sorted Food. If you don't know about Sorted Food, where have you been for the last 13 years? His Fifty Shades of Food really surprised me, although I will be giving it a go. But first, let's head over to the glorious Cotswolds to speak to Sarah. She is the lady that has made me hang up my marmalade-making apron for good. Sarah, you're looking gorgeous today, as always. I always see you. You're so beautifully turned out every time I see you. And the first time I met you, Sarah, and this I'm going to say, Sarah, from the Artisan Kitchen, because I'm going to introduce you like that. The first time I met you was at uh, Great Taste uh, in the, head, the headquarters in Dorset, where I had just started actually being a coordinator. So we had a coordinator's day. And they get experts in to talk about various products that you'll be judging over the year. And you came in to have a chat about your jams and your marmalades that you make so beautifully, which we'll go into in a second. And um, and I just remember sitting there listening to you and thinking, you are just so fabulous. The way that you the way that you described how you feel when you get the awards, how you feel when you get the critique coming in, all of that. Um, and I just yeah. thought you you were such a, a great person to get to know. And I'm so glad that I have got to know you now. Oh, and that you're, likewise, Lottie. <laughs> and that you've come on to um, this podcast. So can you tell me a little bit about what you did, say, before jam, BJ, <laughs> uh, <laughs> before jam and marmalade? Because, you know, you've only been doing that really since about 2011. So, so what were you up to before? Um, so I was always cooking, um, a chef by trade. I went to Westminster College um, and, and did my sort of MVQ and all that sort of thing and went out into the world of work immediately. Lovely restaurants and hotels. I worked at Escargo and Soho, the Mirabelle, and then I worked in some lovely hotels as well, like Clifton Hotel, and just really, really nice places, hardworking um, you know, it was tough then. I, I don't know if it's different now, but then it was really tough, especially for women in the kitchens. Um, and I eventually found myself uh, at the Square in London in Mayfair with Philip Howard. And uh, working for Philip was a, a revelation. You know, he's a fantastic chef, a great person to work for. He was very different from 
anyone else I worked with in kitchens. And, uh, it, you know, it really taught me a lot about flavour, provenance, seasonal ingredients, and it was fantastic working with him. And then as the years sort of went on, I, I drew more away from London into the home counties, a bit further into Gloucestershire. And then I did 10 years at Dalesford, which was wonderful. I didn't um, realise you know, that you were there. I didn't realise you were there. Yes. Yes, 10 years. I started off in the kitchen, um, working alongside the chef there, who was a friend of mine. And then I started doing a bit of production for them. I made jams, marmalades, their real meals, their all sorts of stuff, dressings. And I, I really loved that element of production. Um, I've been sort of a chef doing service for years and years and years, that sort of manic, fast-paced stuff. And then I just loved working in production, creating products that would sit on the shelf, taste amazing, look beautiful. And obviously, Dalesford has just such um, an incredible array of seasonal food to work with. It's quite a special place. So I leant more towards that side and, and started managing... Um, that aspect of their production and particularly jams and marmalade so it was you know a really good grounding for me and I loved my time at Dalesford and did 10 years there in the end um, but then had a little boy and needed a job that fitted with family um, I didn't want to be away from him all the time as well it was really important I, I sort of found a job that could work both for me creatively and with family um, so I started Artisan Kitchen and and the rest is sort of from there, really. And um and I was I was reading up and it was saying that you just saw some Mirabelle plums falling onto a pavement and you thought, why is no one using those? <laughs> <laughs> well, re regularly I do a dog walk in the local area and there was there's a lovely tree lined road with lots of old fruit trees in the front gardens and there was this Mirabelle tree and people were literally treading them into the ground all the plum stones are crunching into the tarmac and I just knocked on the um the door of the house a, a, an elderly gentleman came to the door and I said you know would you mind if I if I pick some of these plums and turn them into jam and bring you a few jars back as well and he said yeah no problem at all and that really was the first batch of jam I made for the business with sort of little printed labels from my my own printer and and visited a few local delis and literally started like that. That's amazing. That is, this is you are a true artisan, a true kitchen table um, producer who started, you know, and Absolutely. still still cooks in your you still cook in your own kitchen, don't you? But I mean, you started in there, and that's what I that's what I love. So you went from Mirabelle's, um, and so where do you get all your fruit from now? I mean, obviously marmalade slightly different, but your autumnal um, fruits. Where where do you pick those? Well, particularly the blazed and red plums uh, are locally um, picked. Uh, they, they have, over the years, come from various orchards and various places. The, it, they're quite rare to get hold of, to be honest. And um, at one point, I, I got to a point where there was literally no more supply for me because the trees were damaged in one orchard and all sorts of stuff like that. So I, I put a thing out on Facebook locally and said, does anyone have any blazed and plum trees I'd like to buy? And uh, I've had a couple of really lovely growers come forward and I work with them every single year. Um, they're, they're based a few miles away from the kitchen and they, you know, it's just such amazing fruit. So that that's my, the sort of star of the show for Artisan Kitchen, really. A, a great tasting fruit, great provenance, great story and, and sort of historic and rare as well. So it's, you know, really, really good. Um, and you do alchemy on it. So you perform alchemy, should I say, because, yes, you've got this beautiful plum, 
But then you do something incredibly magical in the kitchen by adding just the right amount of sugar, cooking it for just the right amount of time, taking it to a point where it'll it'll set, but it won't be the sugar won't start caramelizing and get a little bit, you know, when it gets a bit sticky and you you make this jam so perfect. Yeah. I mean, it has continually won three stars at Great Taste Awards. Last year, it was in the final 16, along with one of your marmalades as well. Um, and I have tra- tasted a lot. In fact, we do have a jar in, in the cupboard downstairs, which I'm really stingy with because I love it so much. <laughs> I just don't let anyone else have it. <laughs> no one else has it. Um, you, you managed to... To perform this alchemy, so you, you you take the plums, you take sugar, and that's all it is, and then you develop this incredible jam, where the level of acidity, and I always write this, just tweaks your cheeks just in the right place. You have a beautiful fresh flavour, which so often is lost in jam making. You know, you manage to keep every single one of your um, preserves. You manage to keep a freshness too, which is unbelievable because it really isn't. You know, it's not easy to do. And then, and you keep the 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 basic flavour of the the plum as well. I mean, yeah. you, you manage to do such an amazing thing with just a piece of fruit, Sarah, and that is quite incredible. It really is. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that because I, I think the whole essence of of what I do is is literally trying to capture that flavour of the single ingredient. And although you've got quite a lot of sugar in with it with the jam making process, but to keep it as close to the original taste as as possible and um i I do think from my days with um phil at the square we every chef that's been through his kitchen um their palate is so finely honed in the end over the time they work with him and i i really do think that's a skill i've i've got particularly from the square and then you know coupled with dalesford seasonality and appreciating the flavor of just you know single fruits particularly um yeah my my sort of thing to create the best jam is to try and capture that single flavor really and it's not always been easy (laughs) i didn't get it straight off the bat there's been a lot of practice and continual practice and in fact i never stop stop trying to perfect each recipe little tweaks here and there still learning (laughs) well i think i think the blazing is superb i also love your your blood orange um, marmalade that's one of my favorites last year you did the blood orange with the vino de nan can you pronounce that for me uh, with the vino i'm not sure i can do it any better <laughs> vino de naranja. i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce naranja, it naranja. <laughs> no idea <laughs> but again that was another three star went <laughs> to the final 16 i mean stunning and i keep going on about this but it's your ability to just maintain and retain that freshness within your preserve it is such a difficult thing to do and you are amazing at it and i i just love every every single one i taste of yours you know is just beautifully balanced it's faultless as far as i'm concerned thank you the marmalades (laughs) particularly um i had a real tough time with those and I, when I started making marmalade, I was absolutely rubbish. I couldn't make a decent jar of marmalade at all. And I just, I wouldn't let it beat me. I was obsessive about it. And and even, even now, I use slightly different methods sometimes. It depends how the fruit is. You can't just, it's not one set recipe for one set season of fruit because it, everything is different all the time. So there, there are sort of little tweaks and lots of tasting and 
but uh, marmalades were my nemesis for quite some time. <laughs> I'm glad I conquered it. <laughs> Your tropical one is amazing. And there is a, there's one I, I remember tasting and it had lime, lemon, grapefruit in it maybe. Was that the tropical one? Or was there, the tropical one was got pineapple. But it, it was every single piece of, uh, sh of shred in there. You could identify, you could identify each flavour when you broke it down. Because when we're judging, we, you know, we literally have it on a plate and we'll taste it, you know, we break it apart and we really take a long time considering and judging it. And I just remember tasting yeah. every single element of it that you described, you could taste. It, it took you on, and I say this word, it's so overused, journey, but it's, it's a way okay. to describe it. You know, you took us on a journey down a, an orange tree lined avenue, I mean... <laughs> There we go. That's what you did. But it was it, it, it was just amazing that you could pick out every element that you described. And also, when you um, cook your, your shreds, they are beautifully cooked. There's just enough um, bite to them, but not, not chewy, and they don't dissolve. They're just perfect, and, they, and they're all set within the gel as well. I mean, you know, honestly, I know I keep saying it, Sarah, but you're bloody marvellous, you're... Fantastic. And I was looking, <laughs> la you. last year, you got four three stars, 12 two stars, three one star. You were also the Great Taste Small Artisan Producer of the Year, and you were the top in the Southwest. Hello. It's, uh, <laughs> it was, it is fantastic. I mean, I think people who, who've heard me talk before, they, they know how much Great Taste means to me. I, for me, it's, um, it's so important to my business. It's so important for the, the feedback um, from the judges. I've improved my products over the years um, down to great taste, really. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's pivotal for me. It means everything for my business. I absolutely love it. I love the judging process because it's, you know, it's blind tasted. Um, I love the feedback you get from it. It's, it's true judging, I, I believe. I think it's, you know the fairest process out there and I you know I love it yeah it's very it is very rigorous um and we love it and uh, you know I know for a fact that I have never made marmalade since I've tried yours I've hung up my pinny <laughs> there is no point the only uh, my friend Liz or Doddy who judges as well she still makes good marmalade not as good as yours don't tell her yeah um <laughs> say nothing to her um but you know I just I just think there's no point there's no point, I'll just buy yours. And everyone else should buy yours. So everyone needs to go to theartisankitchen.co.uk and I shall put the link onto our podcast oh, page because people need to buy your stuff. And that's it. And that's it quite simply. So what have you got coming up now? What's your new season, new jams and marmalades for this year? Well, I've got some lovely new flavours. I've made the most fantastic Sorrento lemon marmalade, uh, which is zingy, fresh, just absolutely wonderful um and then i've also made an apricot jam lovely smooth mellow jam with a few cracked kernels in as well and uh, last new one is a spiced rum seville marmalade it's delicious very boozy very delicious oh, hello i love the sound of that one in fact i love the sound of all three of those i mean when you get a Sorrento or an Amalfi lemon, they are the best. I mean, they're so fragrant, zesty, a bit gnarled looking, but just have the most outstanding flavour. And I love the idea of the apricot as well with the cracked kernels, just giving a little bit of almondy background and, and yeah, anything with rum yeah. and I'm their sister. 
<laughs> Sounds me good. too. Yeah. Well, you are the jam and marmalade queen. You really are. And uh, I think what you do oh. is completely fabulous. I need to know now, and this is a question I ask everybody at the end of the chat, and it is, what is your 50 shades of food? So I need you to think 50 shades of grey book, perhaps not quite like that, but a little bit, but this is something that I always describe, uh, people here every week, um, shut the door, close the curtains, turn down the lights, soft music in the background, Sarah, this is a little, little bit of me time or you time. Um, and it's something you like to eat that you don't really want anyone else to see you eat or know that you eat, perhaps. <laughs> it might be, a, it's just a little bit cheeky. What is your Fifty Shades of Food? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very possessive over my food. Everyone in the family will tell you about that. No one's allowed to touch anything when I order it. Um, and whilst I do love all the jam and all the marmalade and all the sweet stuff, I think my favourite, favourite food really is a wood-fired Italian pizza with lots of buffalo mozzarella and a bit of basil and that I, d I just absolutely love that more than anything else and good sourdough um, crust as well yeah, that's um, lots of cheese <laughs> and no sharing <laughs> <laughs> no sharing I wouldn't share that I love a pizza too and I love cheese I'm a cheese hog um, or cheese pig me too yeah me too. I can't get enough cheese so just and actually do you know your blazed and jam goes so beautifully with cheese it really does. It really does. I wish more people would try it with cheese because it goes with, with cheddar, it goes with blue cheese, it goes with soft goat's cheese as well. Goat's cheese is wonderful with, so it's, it's really good for the cheese board. Yeah, really, really, really good. I, I love that jab. Anyway, so wood fire pizza with extra cheese, more cheese, buffalo cheese on top of the cheese, and then folded in four and just yes, stuffed, yes. Yeah, beating off all the competition. Yeah, shoved in. <laughs> Well, absolutely <laughs> well closing the door locking the door and closing the curtains not letting anyone else in the room is perfect for you eating a pizza isn't it <laughs> all on your own oh that's absolutely. wonderful <laughs> i love it well thank you so much sarah for coming on it's been so lovely to see you again and um i look forward lovely to, to see you. i look forward to uh judging more of your products this year i hasten to add we don't know they're yours we don't know they're yours when we get them but it's just you know you get all those amazing stars because you truly deserve them. Oh, thank you. It's always nerve-wracking. I have to say, you never know how it's going to go. So um, I keep my fingers crossed every year. Yeah, well, it's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and I will see you very, very soon. No hyperbole here. She really does make the most delicious preserves. Utterly faultless. I had a wonderful chat with lovely Ben Ebrill recently. Sorted Food is one of the best things to watch on YouTube and their channel, which was created by Ben, Mike, Jamie and Barry in 2010, has grown into a large food and cooking community and they are a joy and very funny to watch. A group of best mates battling to become awesome cooks with a following of millions. I love them. Hello Ben. Looking gorgeous Hello. and resplendent in your offices. You're upstairs, aren't you, you just said, because you're having a massive refit at the studio. Yeah, so apologies in advance if you hear any sort of nail guns or hammering or anything going on. We're having a bit of a, a reshuffle of the studio and a lick of paint on some fresh walls. So I'm up in the rafters, um, but <laughs> chatting to you, which is lovely. But if I do start to feel a little bit sort of woozy, it's all the paint fumes. If I start talking <laughs> nonsense, I'm going to blame it on that. <laughs> no, that's right. So I'm going to introduce you. You're, uh, you're Ben Ebrill. Um, and I first met you um, 
it was a very drunken night. It was a very drunken night. We were at the BBC Good Food Show Christmas party, and I was standing by the bar as you know, as per usual. And I started chatting to this very tall, handsome chap, and I was called Mikey, and I was like, having a bit of a laugh with him. And then you came along and introduced you, and then the pair of you were standing there. And I think I spent the entire evening talking to you both because you were just so wonderful and so much fun. Um, the thing was that you were a lot long, younger than me and I was trying to keep up with the um, wine consumption a bit and I just completely failed. <laughs> I remember dancing enormously on the dance floor and then we all went back to this hotel we all stay in and then we were there till three in the morning and I was, when I say, please can I have a contour on ice, people should really just put me to bed because that's kind of the, the death knell to my evening. Um, but I carried on. And you too are to blame for the worst hangover I have ever had and had to work with the next day. I, I definitely remember it being quite a giggly evening as, the, <laughs> as, it, as it went on. But it was also, it was, it was our first time in what I would sort of call, inverted commas, sort of traditional food media. Because it was our first time at the BBC Good Food Show. And we were just this sort of YouTube channel and slightly out there on the wings. And we've been invited to, to do some stuff with Kenwood on the, on the stage. So that was really our first like venture into that world and I remember being at that party surrounded by all these amazing faces that I'd seen on TV and yeah you just you just made us feel so welcome from that very offset that we just we, we clung to you all night and we drank an awful lot that night I do remember it I think not I, all of it I don't remember all of it but I remember most of it I think I was clinging on to you two trying to get home actually there was a lot of that going on no so it was fantastic so of course this was the first time I had kind of been introduced into the world of YouTube because you had only really started recently started in 2010 and you were kind of the one of the first massive hits on YouTube. You you're you were just going up at this point. I mean, hugely accelerating. And um, and I started watching you guys. I thought this is amazing. This is so clever. Four mates from school, cooking initially in a shed, filming themselves, have become this YouTube millions and billions and billions of people watching sensation. What's weird is fast forward 13 years and nothing's changed. It's a bigger team. It's a nicer studio. It's no longer in a shed, but it's the same thing. It's, the, it's literally the best job ever. We get to hang out with lifelong mates. We've known each other for 25 years. We're constantly cooking up and exploring. I mean, you know, you know, when, you, when you're doing publishing in whatever guise that is, you never repeat. You're always looking for the next new and a, a twist on something and a, a change because once you've published it, you're kind of moving on to the next thing. So, you know, the, the lives and the, that we sort of live through this world of um, cameras and, and online apps and stuff is just so dynamic because you're always chasing the next new. Um, so we never have time to sort of stop and think. We just carry on loving it. Yeah, and you do look like you love it. I mean, I watched one just recently. I'm going to talk to you about your Kentucky journey. It just looks so much fun. You you are, you are, all get on so well. I mean, there obviously are moments, I would think, you know, four mates together. There are probably be times when you're like, oi. <laughs> but I'm sure you all sort it out anyway. I mean, it looks like you just have the best fun. You all love each other. You know each other so well, so your humour is so on, you know, on point, isn't it, really, with each other. And, um, and, and yeah, I've dangerously just... so sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, but this, I was just going to say this Kentucky one I've just been watching actually today. And um, the food, I mean, the food looks exquisite down there. I, I had no idea, actually. It would be the, I think it was a bit, you were in that food barn and all the vegetables that you were eating. Yeah. From the, literally it, grown it really on the other was side. Amazing. And I think that was the whole point of that trip and a number that we've done. We've worked with the American Tourism Board quite a lot over the years. And the sentiment is always, 
I think people have a, a preconception of what American food is, perhaps. And I think we did as well when we started traveling there. And the point was to go to some of the more um, sort of unspoken places that people don't necessarily think of, first port of call, and then to explore beneath the skin and find the amazing passionate foodies and producers and farmers and chefs who are producing all this amazing food so again best job in the we did a thousand mile um, road trip around kentucky in you know the course of about five or six days stopping off at various places and eating like kings and so much of it bearing in mind this was shot back in august was whatever was in season it was it was the harvest of that time so it was loads of corn loads of tomatoes loads of fruit everywhere so peaches and, and berries and things like that and all of that kind of trickled down into every bit of food we ate it was it was incredible when you get a really good peach just when you mention peach when you get a really good peach there is actually nothing like it is there really if it's sticky and juicy and it's dribbling down your chin i think peaches <laughs> peaches and aubergines have got a bad rap and that's because of the emoji world because actually they're just <laughs> they are so good but the they live in this whole other sphere now where even you mention it or you and people's minds go to a different place. But I completely agree with you. Um, we also went to um, uh, Georgia um, and down there we had obviously the peach state. And again, at that time of year, they are absolutely incredible. Yeah, just pluck them off a tree and eat them. Sink your teeth into a lovely peach. That again, you know, connotations of emojis. But really, when you do sink your teeth into a decent peach, you give it a good old... <laughs> Lovely. I love now. Anyway, so let's talk about food festivals because that's obviously what we do. And you, yeah. um, you came and joined us at our, our food festival in Bradford on Avon a couple of years ago. I think it was the hot year, wasn't it? It was the ninety. It was year. remarkably warm. Yes. Uh, luckily, the tent that I was in, the, the Food Glorious Food Tent, was um, was open plan. So I had a bit of a breeze coming through. Kind of, it was all open, but and shelter. Yeah, that was, a, that was an amazing day. Yeah, it was and it was wonderful. And you hosted the Food Glorious Food Tent for us, which is basically a place where we interview our food producers all weekend. And you were fantastic, and and it was just such a, a lovely time. And I kept wandering over to see you because, unfortunately, I was. Um, on, uh, stuck actually to the um, demonstration stage because all the chefs were being pinged because it was the time of coronavirus and everyone yeah, was being you, pinged. Yeah, you were doing all sorts of ready steady cooks, weren't you? I, was, I had no choice. Literally, I think about five chefs that weekend couldn't actually make it, so I was up on the stage doing everything. But it was just great to see, and it's it's a wonderful atmosphere at Bradford. Um, and our producers, we're very lucky, and you really got the best out of everybody. I think you, you can very quickly look as you're walking past, you know, any food festival and you look at stalls and they've got all their produce stacked high. And it's, it's all too easy just to go, oh, that's a gin. That's a honey. That's a peanut butter. And you can have a taste. It's delicious to move on. But the beauty I thought about that food festival and particularly the tent was the chance to talk to the people behind the products. Because I remember, was it, um, was it Holly at the... Um, Scout and Sage Gin. Gin, yeah. Um, and just speaking to Holly and hearing her story and her passion, and like that, that's what brought what is essentially a gin, a delicious gin, but that's what brings it to life and makes it more than just a gin because you've got the story and the people behind it. And I think that's that's where, you know, the Bradford Food Festival really comes into its own because it's the people more than it is the products. The products are great, they speak for themselves, but it's the people behind them that make it so special. Yeah, and, and Holly actually is, I was chatting to her on the, on this podcast the other day, she's um, she brings her horse box now as a bar, so she's actually serving gin and tonics all weekend as well, which is a lovely place yeah. to stop. 
halfway through but you're right we have some amazing producers and we we hand pick them to a certain extent as well and also I feel it's really important I mean a local is best always we love local food but also let's let's draw in producers from all around the country as well um, because I think people in Wiltshire should be able to taste food from other parts of the country that they wouldn't ordinarily have a go you know have the chance to do yeah and I think local Local is important, but local doesn't necessarily mean all of the same thing. Like local can still be hugely diverse in terms of uh, cuisines and ingredients and influences from around the world. But you're celebrating the small producers who, you know, are working tirelessly to make it happen. I think sometimes that's sort of misinterpreted that local is only sort of what is traditionally here. But now local is so diverse and it's just about celebrating yeah, small producers. I'd like to get you to Tame this year, if possible. Would you like to come on the stage? The big yeah, cookery it's a stage. Yeah, September one, isn't it? Yeah, it's September. Do, do, do you know, I couldn't believe it. Just before we jumped on this call, I had a quick check of when it was. I can't believe it was six or seven years ago, 2016, that I was last at Tame. Yeah. I can't believe. I mean, I know we had a, like a, a two-year wipeout that doesn't count, but um, yeah. it's that's so long ago. So long ago. And you came along and you did some cooking on the baking stage, or the interview stage, because I was hosting the interview stage there, and you just came along and you had lots of lovely food. That was when it was in the town centre. So it's a very different event yeah. now. It's all on the, on the showground. It's very big and huge. Yeah, back this year. We'd love to. Brilliant. Brilliant. I shall book you in, and I shall write you an email after this. I'm so excited. Now, I want to talk to you about your allotment. Do you still have it? Ah, so I've had two amazing years um, with that allotment, which has been a playground for me. Um, but I'm fortunately, I think this year I'm going to have to hand it back um, because I've literally just moved into London. So what I loved about it, and I, I joined a waiting list during lockdown, and it took a year to basically um, get a plot. And uh, I pretty much got a plot the same week that lockdown lifted and life was beginning very slowly to go back to normal. Would be it. Obviously, we had a few more peaks and drops, but it really was an escape is, but I had no idea what I was doing. I was making up as I was going along. I was I was watching a lot of YouTube content because although it is also our day job and it's where we spend all our time, it's also the best place to go for how-tos and learning stuff, whether it's how to put up a shelf, how to clean the filter on your dishwasher or how to grow tomatoes in an allotment. So I was learning loads and it was just very much experimental. I tried a little bit of everything. Um, I had a few failures, but mostly huge success and more food than I knew what to do with which comes back to this vibe of community and where allotments come into their own because you've got too much of one thing to eat. So you share it with people on the plots either side and up the road and round the corner and they do the same in return. It's just an amazing community of people. And I think for me, it was the best physical example of the digital community that we've created with Sorted Food where everyone's just really interested in everyone else's story and is willing to share in a positive way. And what I I watched you um, on Instagram when you were you know growing everything, and I was I can believe actually how much how much success you did have for somebody who just started. It was actually slightly irritating, if I'm honest, Ben, because well, <laughs> what I realised was if, 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 if you throw enough mud at the wall, and I don't, and, and literally metaphorically and physically, and <laughs> some of it sticks. And yeah, there's a couple of things that didn't work, and I got um, you know tomato blight and the, 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 all the mulch too were eaten by uh, the the pigeons. But on the whole. If you try enough stuff, there's enough things to celebrate and succeed in. So, yeah, it was very much an experiment, but I loved it. I'm kind of gutted that I won't be able to, so I have to scale it back to a very small balcony uh, in a London flat now. 
<laughs> they, um, the thing about tomato blight is everyone's got to have it once. It always happens at some point, and then you learn what you've got to do with it. And I've, I've had it a few, well, probably a couple of times. But I, my biggest success every year at the moment is cucumbers and courgettes. We're going back, we're not going back to the emojis. Yeah here by the way just saying um but my <laughs> courgettes are amazing you can't again something else you can't keep up i'm still going through pickled courgettes in the in oh. the fridge at the moment because you have such a glut of them during the summer um yeah but you, you I mean, you grow loads of stuff in your, your garden don't I you? do well fresh herbs all the time and yeah fresh herbs loads of stuff but actually last year i gave over three of the vegetable beds to dahlias I've just become completely obsessed with dahlias because you can cut them from July till December and your your garden, your house is yep. always full of flowers. So I kind of went over to a bit of a dahlia, but then I put all my courgettes and cucumbers into bags, which work quite well as well, because then you can direct them around the garden where the sunshine is. I think flowers, flowers in the allotment space is great as well. And it's, it is the moral dilemma I currently have, um, which is really really i should hand back that allotment now because i know i'm not going to be there in the summer to use it so give the next person plenty of time to plan their season but part of me also wants to keep hold of it for all of the tulips all the daffodils all the crocuses all the things that i planted that i've had two years of wondering that i want to come up again and are coming up again i kind of want to make the most of that before i hand it back but i know morally i should get rid of it and let somebody use it for an entire season rather than just uh, some extra quick spring spring flowers So with sorted food, where do you, you know, it's been how many years now? 13 years? 13 years since you started. Yep. It's, ne you know, where do you see it going? I mean, do you see it continuing, expanding? Because you, it's always fresh. It's always original. You're always having the great, a great time. You're always happy. When you come off yeah. one of your, one of your films, you've got a smile on your face and you're laughing because you guys are just brilliant. It is, it is the best fun ever. And that is really our only point i think if you talk about food at the moment and just in the wider sphere it can get incredibly dark and all doom and gloom it's like you know the cost of food and food inflation we're talking about national nutrition not being a priority at the moment and, and uh, cooking skills people not having it so scratch cooking is, is disappearing food waste is catastrophic but all of these things mean that actually if you start talking about the nuts and bolts of food in our food systems very quickly you can feel like we're in a very very dark and tricky place so our job at sorted is just to bring the joy back just to make sure that people have some kind of connection with food that they can enjoy because that is the first hurdle to getting back in the kitchen and it not being a chore or to trying something or learning something of a, a neighboring cuisine or, or an ingredient you've never tried so our purpose really is just to bring the joy and the friendship element to food because in doing that whilst we entertain and inspire We'll also accidentally educate. And if, if we can sneakily get you to learn something along the way, that's kind of our point. So I'm glad you say that because that's literally all we aim to do is just have a bit of fun with food and to give people a reason to fall in love with it again. Yeah, you're joyous to watch, all of you. You are just completely joyous. Um, and what is really good as well, and it's something I really enjoy with this podcast because I've been at the behest of so many commissioning editors over the years. You know, oh, yes, maybe we'll... No, we won't. Yes, no, maybe we'll... No, we don't... not going to do... You know, all of this. And I remember ha having a conversation with you actually that first night. And I said, you guys are so brilliant. You know, have you thought about, you know, TV, proper TV? You know, and you said to me, why? Why do we need to do that? We've got what we're in control. We've, you know, we own it all. It's all... It's absolutely brilliant for us. And so long may that continue because you have just 
pushed away from that and done your own thing, which I think is fantastic. And then, you know, you have the autonomy. We were talking to, we work very closely with um, YouTube and Google as well, I think, because we've been on the platform for so long and we kind of do best practice and we're, we're, we're still here, keep changing and sort of reinventing the content, even though it's basically the same as it always has been. And we were chatting to them and they, they mentioned a good thing, which I hadn't really considered. And that was just how big the creator economy is on YouTube. So, you know, just how many, I think it's like 40,000 jobs in the UK have been crafted out of content creators you know we, we, we do a tiny a tiny percentage of that we've got you know over 20 people on our team but that's 20 full-time people making all this content and actually servicing this amazing community because to your point of a commissioning editor we don't have a commissioning editor but we do have about 12 million views a month and essentially that's they are our commissioning editors we have 12 million commissioning editors because <laughs> they will tell us what they want to see and it's our duty to kind of give them that content because then we know they'll want to watch it so we're kind of just puppets and we, we just curate and uh, content and, and share it in an intending way but ultimately it's what people want to watch because we ask them and it's not down to one person in a, in a, in a big chair at the top of a top of a tall office it's it's very much a global community and they, and they are steering the ship yeah no it's wonderful and do you have you done any songs lately because i do remember one of my favorite was mikey doing frozen that was a glorious one. And the one that you did, which was, um, oh, God, it's all about dunking, the dunking we one. Done, yeah, see, and dunking donuts. Bruno, yeah, Bruno um, Mars's the, song, that one. Yeah, well, interestingly, they kind of had to stop because back in the day there were all sorts of problems with music rights, which meant we couldn't. Um, oh. But one thing that will never really disappear is that as the four of us as friends, um, who you know, we could not be closer and tighter as a group now, but at school, we were in very different groups. Um, and, and Jamie was very much in the Andram. Mike is an, a phenomenal musician. Um, uh, and then, you know, Barry was more into sort of sport football. And I headed up the maths and science class <laughs> and chess club, that kind of cliche. But together, it's, it's really unique. But that means that whilst our YouTube videos aren't really a performance, they are literally us just hanging out and having a conversation, we still do love that performing element which is why things like food festivals are so great because you can get on a stage and you can be in front of real people and i think we, well we did a christmas show this year which was a, a huge undertaking but we took over shoreditch town hall in london and did a two and a half hour christmas show uh, with interval and we had 600 people in for three nights and then we streamed it around the world to you know 12 14 000 people and it was such a buzz to have so many people kind of all on the same page, which is what a food festival is. It's, it's physical people. It's not likes on videos and comments under videos. It's physical people coming together into a space and sharing what they love, which is food. And that, that was, you know, our Christmas show was a version of that. And it's what, it's what you guys do every, every summer, twice every summer with across the various festivals. It's bringing people together so that they can just be in a physical space rather than just online. Yeah, I, I watched all of that actually on your Insta again and I thought it was amazing what you were putting together. It was very exciting. And you're right about festivals. They are they are live and they are people all getting together with one love, which is food and drink. And people who like food, as I say this all the time, are the nicest people to be around. You know, because there, there is just so much joy to be had about stuffing your face and appreciating the food. It's not just eating rubbish, it's eating glorious stuff. I mean, there are moments when you just want nothing but a toasted cheese sandwich with probably the dodgy cheese. It doesn't matter. It's, it's all about just embracing food, embracing drink, embracing people who like all of that, people who make it, people who, who are cooking it. You know, it's just glorious and I love it and I love doing that sort of thing. 
Um, there are moments just before the event, about 10 days before I have a meltdown, always, without a doubt, you know, oh my God, I'm not doing this again. I'm never doing this again. You know, I can't do it anymore. And then it's fine. <laughs> You wouldn't you wouldn't do it again if you didn't have those moments because that's yeah. the adrenaline and the buzz that yeah. you you're you're as as in love with that side of it as you are of the uh, the Monday morning after the festival when you can finally realise just what your step count was over the weekend because you you do not stop and it's no. amazing but I think if you didn't have those little meltdowns and that wouldn't it would be almost like you've lost the magic of it is that it's the adrenaline and the pressure and the build up to it to deliver an amazing event I think that's all part of it yeah no you're you're absolutely right you're absolutely right so. I'm going to ask you now the question that I ask everybody, Ben, and I know you know what's coming here. Um, I need to know from you, what is your 50 shades of food? So this is something a little bit sticky, a little bit gooey maybe, maybe a tad naughty, that you want to eat, just you, you have a bit of me time, you and the food, you've got the front door locked. Maybe even the internal door's locked because you really want to be on your own. The curtains are, sh the curtains are drawn. You could be wearing clothes, you could be naked. We don't mind. What is your Fifty Shades of Food? Cozy, a cosy little dressing gown. Um, <laughs> so, well, I feel like there's, there's a few cliche answers that I would absolutely be in my element if if I had a big bowl of sticky toffee pudding with, you know, salted caramel miso or miso caramel sauce. But I feel like they're kind of a bit obvious, but I 100% would be on board with that. But I have a real guilty pleasure, which... I think people presume that as chefs, you're kind of on a pedestal and you're not allowed to like all the, the sort of the comfort foods and the things that normal people enjoy. And I say that because our whole channel is set around chefs are weird. You, you've, you know, you've worked with so many chefs over the years and chefs are a really weird bunch. And therefore, what we try and do is distill down what chefs think into what normal people would think. So I think one of the most normal things that I do and absolutely love is frozen Haribo. So I have a bag of Haribo tank plastics in the freezer and I can't get enough of them because they are just an absolute guilty pleasure. And there's something about it being frozen, like icy cold and sherbety, like fizzy. And you just know that, you know, Haribo is not great for you. But there's some times when you just need Haribo. And for me, when they're frozen, it just ticks all the boxes. That is some, that is I have to say, the most bizarre one I've ever had. Frozen <laughs> Haribo. That's just brilliant. You're welcome. I'm gonna, yeah, I know. I'm going to have to try that one. I think that's brilliant. Is there anything else? Just the frozen Haribo. Go on, give us another one. No, that's just it. The no, it's just <laughs> no, that. It's just that. It's what you like to do on your own. But do you do that on your own or do you share it with anyone? No, not allowed to share them. They, they, they are in my, they're my stash. They're in the in the ice cube tray of the freezer, and no one is getting involved. That's that's for me. That's me time. <laughs> I'm gonna go out and get some of those and put them in the freezer. One last question: Who's the most famous person you cooked for? And I'm I have to hasten to add here. I haven't introduced you. You are the only chef out of the four boys. So you're the you're the fully trained chef with all the you know all the experience and the and the skill. Yeah. So I who did, I did train. Yeah, I did train sort of pressing, and now we've got a few more chefs on the team. So there's three of us in the food team now as well. But who is the most... Well, I mean, Her Majesty. Uh, may she rest in peace. I cooked for her on her 84th birthday, um, which was an absolute surprise because I didn't... I knew I was going to cook at a private residency, and I knew I was cooking for a VIP. I just didn't know who it was until that afternoon. Um, I kind of wasn't allowed to know until that afternoon for security reasons. And then I was told halfway through doing all the mise en place and the prep 
that um, Her Majesty was coming for tea and I cooked for her and about 20 other people um, in 2012. So, yeah, a long time ago now, but I could not believe it. I'm completely, I don't know what to say. That's so exciting. I think that, oh my goodness me, I would love to have done that. I was so, I was almost to the point of cooking for the Queen Mother once, by default. Um, but the Queen, that's the most amazing thing. Oh, bless her. Bless her heart. That was, that was so exciting. When you, when you realise that what you cooked and she ate is just, yeah, lovely. And it was, it was wonderfully simple. They were, you know, just very classic hors d'oeuvres and just little sort of finger food stuff. Um, but yeah, the moment that bombshell was dropped, I was, I was all of a sudden so much more nervous. And I don't know why you should be because, it, you know, it, it was going to be great food regardless. Yeah. But when you know who you're cooking for, yeah. it kind of changes the whole perception around it. So that was a, a wonderful privilege and, and opportunity. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Well, listen, my lovely, I will see you hopefully in September. We should get that all sorted. I'd love to have you back. It'd be really yep. good. If you need a grandmother to cook on your sorted food, just give me a call. You know, because a lot of your audience uh, now... We'd have to do something together. Yeah, we've got to. I mean, your audience now is a lot older because they've grown up with you. And, you know, I am a nana now. I've got two grandchildren. I know I don't look old enough, Ben. I know. Uh, your your lockdown uh, Instagram cookalogs, I used to love. I still use your... um. <laughs> Your cheese, like, what was it, like, literally the, the, oh, the simplest recipe ever, which is, like, butter, cheese and flour in equal ratios, maybe yeah. a few herbs. Yeah. So good. Oh, bless you. Because I remember so you, you made them, didn't you, on one of your own um, shows that you did in lockdown. Yeah, that was... John and I did those videos entirely to stop us becoming functioning alcoholics during lockdown because <laughs> we had to have some structure I, to the I, day. Oh, Lottie, I did exactly. I did. Um, I did a wine course for exactly the same reason, just so I could turn the amount of wine I was drinking into research and revision, rather than something completely unproductive. <laughs> exactly, brilliant. All right, my darling, it's so lovely to talk to you, and I will see you very, very soon. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Ben, and I can't wait to see you very, very soon at Tame Food Festival. We first met Lisa and her husband Andy at a Cornish food festival a few years ago. We were blown away by their peanut butter and insisted they join us at Tame Food Festival the same year. They did. Then they came to Bravdon Avon and we have been lucky to have them at the events for the last five years. Last year we had a delicious lunch in their garden in Cornwall and we've also had the fun of judging together at Great Taste Awards too. Lisa is a superb chef and the lady behind the peanut butter recipes, clever, strong and inventive with a keen palate. Frida's is going from strength to strength and both Andy and Lisa deserve all that success. So I'm sitting in my, in my cosy um, spare room, <laughs> forward slash recording studio, um, and I'm chatting to Lisa, who I can see you're sitting in your gorgeous cottage in Bodmin in Cornwall, and you're looking very relaxed and very tanned because you've just come back from holiday. You sent me photographs of you on holiday, which is a bit mean, yeah. actually, frankly. Yeah, looking... I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> and you've been telling sorry, me... Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. And you've been telling me about your terrible jet lag. Don't care. Sorry. No. Don't care. <laughs> You deserve it. No, you you do look you really well. You work so hard, so actually you completely deserve that holiday because I know you spend your entire year at food festivals, you know, humping boxes of beautiful peanut butter around and selling it to um to everybody enormously. And um so let's just introduce you. So you are Lisa yeah. from Frida's peanut butter. Yeah. 
And we met you at a food festival quite a few years ago, enticed you to come to the ones we run. And we've had lunch with you ever since. You know, we meet up, you know, socially as well, which is really lovely because you and Andy, who run it, are just the loveliest of people and the most fun to be with. And your food is delicious, I hasten to add, because we had lunch with you last March, which was scrumptious. Um, But I just kind of want to, we we talk about the peanut butter and we'll talk about how you came up with the idea. But just give me a bit of background about you, Lisa, and what you did, you know, um, BP before peanut butter. BP. <laughs> yeah. BPB. BPB. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, all my family, I'm from Lancashire originally, and um, my mum has five sisters who are all involved in either farming or catering. And we... We had a family restaurant up there. It's probably 60 years since my parents took over the place. And it was kind of the natural progression for me to go and work work in the business, which I did till, uh, gosh, mid-30s, 40. And, um, and then I met Andrew and we decided that we'd have a change of scene. And we moved down to Cornwall. We ran a cafe in Mevagisi for five years. Andrew's a plasterer by trade, so this was a bit... <laughs> You know, a bit of a leap for him. But, um, yeah, he, he worked front of house and I ran the kitchen in the cafe. Um, and we did that really well. You know, we made a big success of it. And we didn't fall out because there was a high pressure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we decided uh, after five years to put it on the market. Well, we were still kind of enjoying it. We didn't want to get to the stage where we hated hated our work but we sold it really quickly which we didn't expect to but we sold it really quickly and then we sort of um I went to work as a chef um in a couple of other places Andy went back to his plastering for a while we had a little cottage in the village life was just ticking over really nicely and then we kind of got a bit bored we thought we really want to do something else a new business and around that time, um, we went off to New Zealand and we had big birthdays and we thought we'll treat ourselves. So off we went, holiday of a lifetime. And uh, we toured around in the camper van called Frida. And I don't, I don't know whether people realise this unless they've been, but New Zealand is a really foodie country. The, the cafe culture is amazing. They love their coffee, you know, and... They do things really well. And even the sort of supermarket brand peanut butter that they have there was better quality than we have here. And we were kind of thinking about this and we love peanut butter and we normally take it with us when we're traveling, but we hadn't on this occasion. So we bought jars from various places. And there was one that stood out to us because it was so artisan. It it had that feel to it. It was very simple. I think it was 100% peanut. You know, it tasted good, but it, you know, there was nothing kind of exceptional about it in that regard, but it was just the fact that it had that really handmade feel rather than the mass-produced stuff that you get in the, in the supermarkets that's very often full of palm oil and other nasty things. Or the, um, the other option is the health food uh, market, which is 100% peanut, which is fine, but it doesn't have an incredible flavour. So we thought, surely there's, there's some middle ground, some way that we could source great ingredients and um, create a range of peanut butter that tastes good, but, you know, aren't bad for you. You know, they're full of good things. 
So that's what we set out to do. And then the idea about adding different flavours came in because peanut worked so well with, with other things. And as you know, Lottie, we do um, coconut and chilli and chocolate and, it you know, the really lovely blends. So, yeah, it was a year in the in the thought process and creating the recipes and deciding how it was going to work and where we were going to make it from. So that's how we started. And it, I think when we met you, Lottie, I think that might have been at St. Ives. Um, and that was only our second ever food festival. Was it? Oh, gosh, yes. It was. Yeah. And and we were. I was still making it at home in the kitchen, doing like 100 jars a day. And Andrew was still plastering. And he'd come home at night. And if he could smell peanuts when he got out of the van, he knew that he would have to sit there labelling all evening. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it started. Um yeah, and I remember when you invited us to to come up to Tame, and uh, I thought, oh, we're not ready for that. You know, it just seemed like such a big thing for us. Um, and I think I called you later on in the year and said, oh, can you squeeze us in? We'll give it a go. Yeah. And you, and you very kindly did. So um, I was so thrilled. Tame it, I was thrilled was, you uh, could come. Yeah, no, I was just oh. thrilled because I knew that your peanut butter was the best I've ever tasted. And I thought everyone else has got to know about this as well. So, no, I was over the moon. And, and you know, you are, you know, an original kitchen table business that's now expanded yeah. and you have yeah. a, a unit and staff and yeah. that's where you now prepare all of your jars. I mean, how many jars do you sort of make and sell in a year or in six months? Well, we can, we can make 1,500 jars a day now. That's uh, that's where we're at. We're not in production every day, so we've still got room to to scale up. Um, but uh, that's about where we're, where we're at. Um, we supply maybe four hundred shops now, um, a lot in Cornwall, you know, mainly in Cornwall and Devon, um, but nationwide. In fact, while we were on holiday, Evie's um, been plotting our outlets on a giant map so we can see where the gaps are. So that's the project for this year is to try and. Uh, bring freeders to areas that don't yet know about us so yeah but it's uh, it's really good and it's our intention to um continue to supply smaller outlets delis and farm shops you know the supermarkets are not our not our end game at all we like building up that personal relationship with our uh, with our customers and and that's that's the way forward for us yeah because when we were down in Cornwall the other week everywhere I just saw you know we were in Deborah's bakery and the headquarters in oh, Queen, yeah, yeah. Indian Queens and yeah. there yes peanut butter <laughs> there they are again <laughs> and I just think I know I think it's fabulous and you've got such beautiful flavors and I know that you take time developing them and you know for example you know you've got you've got the crunchy the plain original crunchy then you have the one with the sea salt, which is one of my favourites, the Cornish sea salt as well, which you, yeah. you put into yeah. it. You've got the chipotle one. Then yeah. you have the one with the spice and fruits, which is a lovely Christmassy one. The toasted coconut, yeah. which I know is, well, one of John's favourites. I mean, John has a slight addiction to peanut butter, and it's only your peanut yeah. butter. So whenever we meet, you will go anywhere. He, he buys it by the kilo, doesn't he? The big, the big buckets <laughs> of it. Um, and then, of course, the salt and black pepper one, which is actually my favourite now. I mean, that that's when that's only a couple of years old now, isn't it, that you've had that Yeah, out? Le- Yeah, le- less than two years, yeah. it's um, That was literally nothing to do with me. That was a, literally a passing comment by somebody who said, oh, I, I grind black pepper onto my peanut butter. And I thought, hmm, well, how good, how good can it be? But anyway, typical style, we went and found some 
amazing organic Indian black pepper. And uh, I think because quite often the recipes take a long time, you know, there's a lot of development, a lot of uh, trial and error. But the black pepper just worked perfectly straight away. I think first hit, you know, the the level of the salt and the black pepper and everything just worked uh, so well. And you get a really good kick of the black pepper. It's got quite a, you know, Which quite lingers. a spicy kick to it. Yeah, and it lingers as a finish on it, a lovely yeah. long tingling finish. I was on yeah. the way to a job recently and I ran out because I, I um, was late, as always, and I was driving down the M4 and I had... <laughs> a piece of lovely rye, toasted rye sourdough with your salt and black pepper peanut butter. And I was just driving and eating it and really enjoying it. And I drove for about an hour and a half. When I got to the place where I was going to go, I still had the black pepper tingling in my mouth. And I thought, that's an hour and a half of finish. That's a long (laughs) and lingering finish in your mouth. And that's exquisite. And it just shows how particularly you are about your ingredients the fact that you didn't just go oh I'm just going to go to Sainsbury's and get some pepper you went and sought out the best you could find and that's that's the quality of your peanut butter Lisa and that's why it's so special and why you guys are doing so well with it it's because it is exceptional it really is exceptional Mm -hmm. and you must never ever forget that even the moments when you're so knackered with jet lag coming back from holiday um <laughs> and having to go to your unit and maybe peanut butter um you know moments like that you just it is it is exceptional peanut butter it really is and everybody needs to to have it in their cupboard they really do and that's what we always tell people um and i think out of cornwall some wonderful wonderful things happen i really do i think there's yeah. a um, there's a big food movement down there i see that there is is uh, growing and growing yeah, and everybody's really supportive as well. We couldn't believe how generous people were. You know, when we got onto the um, festival scene sort of thing, it is a bit like a roadshow. You know, we all go around and we all see each other and it's lovely, um, but so helpful, you know, just with sourcing various things and services. You know, people are really generous with the, the information because it's um, it's hard-earned, you know. There's a lot of mistakes when you start in a new business you have to make those mistakes to learn but when somebody can give you like a snippet of information that saves you all that time you know because they've done the research themselves that is that is incredibly generous and um i like to think we do that for other people too you know people who are starting up now if they ask us about things we like to feel that we pass on that yeah. that information as well so yeah it's uh it's uh, it's a really really nice community um, and really supportive, you know, everybody looks after each other, It's yes. great. It's very noticeable, and that's what we love about doing food festivals, the same thing, because meeting producers who are just starting out and being able to advise them and, you know, show them what else they can do and, um, you know, how they can expand within the festivals and control it and what they should expect and, you know, how much food they should bring. We try and do that, but you never know with numbers. It's always finger in the air, isn't it, with numbers? But, yeah. you know, it is... It's, personally i love working with small producers and the food festivals is is for me the platform that we can give them and offer them the chance yeah. to uh, to sell which is what it's all about yeah absolutely <laughs> it is it is at the end of the day the food festivals are great because you you meet you meet your customers and they they you know they're blunt with you it's not like testing things out on your family who tell you what you want to hear the, the you know the customer will tell you what they think and mm. um and, that, and you need that, you know, you need that that truth, with whether it's 
good or bad. You know, you've got to take on board what people are saying. And if people are consistently saying one thing about about one of your products, you've got to take it on board. So it's a great way to um, to get it out there and learn, you know, yeah. learn what people think about it. Yeah. So, hmm. Fifty Shades of Food. Have you heard about this, Lisa? Um, well, I might have listened to one or two of your podcasts <laughs> and have an idea. So you know that what I'm going to ask you when I say Fifty Shades of Food, it's something mm. a little sticky, a little naughty that you just want to mm. do on your own with mm. the, the, the door locked, the curtains closed. Andy, no, yeah. you don't want Andy. You just want you, yeah. me time, yeah. and a little bit of naughty food. What is it? Well, I'd love to be able to tell you that this is something really organic and, <laughs> you know, really wonderful. But my guilty pleasure, oh, I, I'm actually ashamed to say this, but you know that really foul cherry pie filling that you get in a can i that do piece sticky yes. stuff that is my thing and i will make myself uh, a bowl of crumble with that and that's me i just <laughs> it's it's so appalling and full probably full of all sorts of horrible things but i just yeah yeah I mean, I do eat well most of the time. Yeah, I know. Well, you look like, so healthy. I know that you that eat is, well. But there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Nothing wrong with that. That, that sounds guilty, great. Guilty pleasure, yeah. Do you do custard and ice cream on it as well? You know, I can I can leave it. I can just have it as is. But, yeah, a nice dollop of vanilla ice cream would um, would go very well with it. That would just yeah. finish it off. I'll tell you something about yeah. that cherry pie filling. I have used mm. it myself. It makes a fantastic ice cream. If oh, you just okay. yeah, if you stir cherry pie filling into whipped up cream and freeze it, yeah, hello, yeah, cherry oh, ice cream, well, yeah, don't start, yeah, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> you could use that as well, or just eat it straight out of the tin. Don't even bother with the crumble. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I know you know it's really gloopy, but I like the texture of the cherries. I like I like a fresh cherry, nice and crisp. But there's something about that gloopy. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, oh, I think yeah. that's wonderful. I had, um, <laughs> we're talking to Gennaro Contaldo and, and for the podcast, and he was saying his Fifty Shades was tinned Italian Spam. Oh, uh, yeah, and it's a tinned ham and a bit of jelly, and he just, I just sit and eat that out of the tin. There's a lot of people eating uh -huh. things straight out of the tin. Yeah, Because okay. I think it's something, I mean, I love cold baked beans out of the tin. Yeah, I don't think I could. Uh, no, do I quite like it? Or cold sweet corn? I don't know. Mm, yum, yum. You see, I used to love sweet corn, but sweet corn doesn't like me. But yeah, I, I'm <laughs> with you on that one. I used to uh, used to do that. Yeah. Lots of stickiness. Well, listen, Lisa, it's been so lovely to talk to you. And we will see you at Tame Food Festival this year, if not before, because I think we're down in March yeah. and we're going to have some supper, aren't we, together? Absolutely. In Cornwall, yeah. which I look forward look to. Forward. Yeah, <laughs> It'll be really nice. But but mainly, good luck with all the festivals this summer because you do an awful lot. And food producers, yeah. I don't think people realise sometimes mm. how hard you all work at festivals. And we try to make it easier for you. So we always try to be so organised so people, when they come along, it's a, it's a very good, easy experience for, for everyone that attends. Um, but I know it's really hard for you guys because you are humping huge amounts of boxes around. Then you have to stand there for two days on your feet, smiling, being gracious, when you might not be feeling that particularly. But you're so professional because whenever we walk past your store, you're always smiling and you're always happy. Even when we saw you at Bath Christmas Market in December, mm -hmm. 
thousands upon yeah. thousands of people and you're standing there and smiling and being attentive and you know and that's why you guys are so successful because it's not just the quality of your peanut butter it's the quality of you two as well and, and how oh, hard you work okay. to make it all um you know go so well and also if i just apologize if anyone's heard a dog barking in the background it's winnie who winnie, has yes winnie. winnie who is she's just here now but she's been barking i think she might have seen a pigeon <laughs> anyway but thank you so much Lisa it really is so lovely to see you and we'll see you very soon see you very soon we're all having supper together very soon in Cornwall with much wine well that's it for this week another collection of gastronomic greats an enchanting flavour bomb of exquisiteness next week I'll be chatting to Sonia Simmons from Cookstars whose aim is to make cooking for children fun nutritious and fabulous she is bringing this to Bradford Avon in June and children will be able to cook in her magical marquee of cooking classes all weekend. I talk divine gin with a lovely Holly Bower from Scout and Sage and I'll be introducing you to my number three boyfriend. Yes, it's official and both John and Stephen Carter Bailey are okay with it. David Atherton, winner of 2019's Great British Bake Off, is now mine. All mine. See you then. We hope you like listening to our podcast. We just love producing it. If you think you know someone that would enjoy listening to it too, please share and pass on. Please like and follow us on the platform you listen with. We are on Instagram, Truly Scrumptious Podcast, and of course there are our festivals where this podcast stems from. Bradford on Avon Food and Drink Festival and Tame Food Festival. Website links are on our profile, but just Google them and you'll find us. And buy tickets to visit. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>